You're listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and if you liked boy bands such as NSYNC, O-Town, Backstreet Boys, etc., etc., but you were firmly in the Christian faith and you either weren't allowed to like quote-unquote secular groups or were highly discouraged to, where would you turn? Where would you get your boy band pop fix while still staying true to God's music? Enter Plus One. Designed to capture the success of popular groups such as NSYNC, but to do so under the Christian music heading, Plus One were formed to solve for that need. Plus One refers to all of the band members plus God, and as a result, they experienced a wide variety of success. Guesting on shows such as Touched by an Angel and charting up the Christian contemporary music charts. But how was the group formed? What were some of the dynamics that led to the group disbanding after their second album and then disbanding again after Exodus? What happened after the music fades? On today's episode, I speak to Nate Cole, who gives us his latest chapter in Volume 3, Dirty Pop. listening to After the Encore, and I am here with Nate Cole. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. I almost forgot about that. Nate, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm, I'm good, man. I'm all right. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm excited to have you on. We were chatting a little bit before we went live, and there's just there's a lot of um, uh, connectivity between Plus One and some of my early growing up. Uh, so, you know, for folks that have been following along with this volume so far, we've had Chris Kirkpatrick on with NSYNC. That was definitely something that was heavy in my rotation. But Plus One had a very special place on my heart. You might even say it was written on my heart uh, to uh, get the little pun in there. For nice. The song. There you go. <laughs> but, right, right. But, Nate, I want to ask you, I want to start this off by asking you, what does music mean to you? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a big one. Um, I mean, I feel like I could answer the question on like multiple different from multiple different angles. Music as me being like a fan of music and experiencing music and then as like my form of expression. Um, One thing I think is pretty interesting about music to me that I'm realizing even on a daily basis, like if I'm if I'm going to do anything that's that kind of sucks, like if I have to chore or something, you know, washing the dishes, whatever, I, I always, if I'm able to, I'll always play music. You know, like I, I have like a little speaker I'll carry around with me throughout the house. So if I'm in the kitchen doing dishes, I'll listen to music. And it's like it instantly makes whatever that thing that sucks, it suddenly, it, like, that thing is romantic. It's like, you know, it's like, right. it's beautiful. And it's like, um, it's like almost, almost like important. It's almost like meaningful. Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like that 
that thing that I'm doing that means nothing now has an has a memory. Like a song kind of puts. It's like you're you're in a music video, or you're like you're in a movie or something, you know. Right. And yeah. uh, and so music is like I I I kind of OD on it on a regular basis. I mean I'm all I'm always playing it um, in the house when I go for walks. I love to have something playing. Um, it just kind of is transformative in that way. And so I'm, I'm obsessed with music as a fan, and I love to see shows. And, um, and then obviously, as like, a, like I was saying, I, I consider myself an artist kind of, I don't know, almost like irrespective of music, I kind of feel like an, like an artist in my head all the time. I don't know what yeah. that means. That's, that sounds kind of silly, but but like I think no, I get it. I think that like um, I've always been drawn to music as a form of expression, and I actually I actually read a quote recently from Leonard Cohen, and uh, he he's just one of my favorite lyricists, and um, yeah. he 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 has an autobiography where he writes about discovering poetry for the first time, and he said when he when he fir- when he read the f- a poem for the first time. It felt like a call, and he and it required a response. So it was like mm. he's like he and I think I th- I think that's maybe something similar that I feel with music. Like the first time I heard music, it was like I had to like answer, you know, like it yeah. was a it was calling out to me, and I had to like call back, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I think I I've felt that from a very young age, and I've I've like constantly that hasn't gone away for me, you know. Like I always feel. Uh, some sort of drive or need or desire, passion to, to, to participate with it, you know? I absolutely know that. And I love how you said that it's almost, it's almost like you OD on music because I, I find how, you know, it's so fascinating how music can stimulate our brain and exercise it in a way that a lot of other things don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it engages with you. And I heard, and I was trying to find the study, and I and I don't quite remember where it is, and I probably have brought this up on the on the show before, but but I heard that music taps into a higher percentage of your brain than you typically use throughout a day when you're engage actively engaging with music, whether you're listening to it, singing along with it, just playing it, whatever, regardless. Mm-hmm. And I find that's true because there are I feel like my brain is always racing and thinking of a bunch of different things to yeah. do or create or whatever. But I find that when I listen to music, my it's like someone went and put my brain on overcharge because it's just going, 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 and I love it. And then it gets to a point where I go, "All right, I need to, like sl- you crash play a little slower." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's almost like yeah. you know you're you're coming down off a high a little bit because it's like, yeah. "Whoa, I, I there's so much and I love it, but I'm also a little tired." And so it's it's kind of navigating it, but it's not it's not bad. I say all that to say. It's crazy in which the way we engage with music totally and what it enables us to do as oh, a result right. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. And I mean and and it's probably true that our our brains are not they, they haven't like the way the technology moves so fast, you know, there was never there was never any option to like have a song being played constantly, you know? Like right, be, yeah. be, you know, before the technology. So you'd have to have someone walking around you singing a song into your ear, you know? So like exactly. it, it is probably it, it, there is probably a sensory overload that 
uh, our brains deserve a break, you know, to catch up. And I, and, I, and I recognize it when it's happening too. And sometimes I switch to a podcast or something like that, you know, like, but it's still really yeah. wordy and my brain is still racing. I mean, there, there, is a, there is a sort of element, even when I turn it off, I still feel sort of tortured by song. You know, like it's mm. always, yes. like I know you said like your brain is racing. If you're a creative person, then, you know, you have ideas. Um, and I kind of feel uh, the burden of music sometimes, you know? Yeah, like that's you, a good way to put yeah, it. Yeah, you can't leave it alone. It, it, it's, it's the, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like I'm really nerding out on, on the topic. No, of no, this is, this, is exactly, this is exactly <laughs> yeah. what this is for because it's yeah. so true in that it, it, it demands this interaction, mm-hmm. whether you are actively um, dancing with it, right, by yep. picking up a, um, an instrument and uh-huh. performing to it, or whether you are a um, getting danced along with by getting swept up in the music, regardless, it, it demands this active energy. And there's, you know, there was, um, and we're going to get into this later, but one of the things that I absolutely love, and I, I know that I've told this story before, is... Um, when I was in college, I subscribed to, uh, I think it was Alternative Press magazines, magazine, so AP Magazine, cool. and they did an interview with Tom DeLonge when the first Angels and Airwaves record hit. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading that, and bear in mind, I'm in college, so I'm highly impressionable. And he, they said, how do you want people to listen to your music? And I thought, you know, standard answers like, oh, in the car when they're on a road trip or, you know, <laughs> as they're bustling down from class to class with their, you know, headphones in. And he said, I want you to get in a dark room. I want you to dim the lights down. I want you to light candles everywhere. Sit with the music in the center of the room. Close God. your eyes and just be immersed in it. And of course, I'm like, oh my God, that's so fucking cool. <laughs> and so I did it, right? I totally did it, um, except no candles because, you know, it was a dorm room, so we had candle warmers. But, um, <laughs> you know, I did it mm-hmm. and and it meant so much to me. And it was an experience, right? I wasn't even, I wasn't on drugs. I wasn't drunk, nothing. Yeah. It was just an experience, but it felt like I'd been through all that. So, so to that point, there are times where I'll put on my headphones, lay back in my bed with the lights off and listen to some of this ethereal, different types of music, which really will evoke this feeling within me to where it's it's unlike anything ever I've experienced. And I say all of that to say, and we're going to get into your latest release, Texas, towards the end of the show, but the title, the first track on Texas, the UFOs, uh, UFO, concerning the UFO sighting in Aurora, Texas, that took me back to that moment listening to the Angels and Airwaves album. That Whoa. feeling of total immersion and an almost out-of-body experience, um, which is funny because it's concerning the UFO side. But, um, <laughs> no, that's gave perfect. Me, yeah, it gave yeah. me this feeling and this connection to music that I hadn't experienced in a long time. Fell from the sky A light appeared Couldn't be more bright Couldn't be more clear No CGI No camera lens Just a couple of men With paper and a pen
And it was very transcendent, and I loved it. And I think this is the power that music has over us, and also we give to music willingly, and we want to engage in it. So to me, that's this is. I mean, I love like feel free to nerd out. This is cool. I, I love this. It's it's great. Well, I really appreciate saying that too, because that's kind of like the highest compliment for a musician that music does that to somebody, you know. Because I have that experience with it too, with music, and um, I guess I rarely get to interact with people that have listened to my music and had that, you know, and like hear yeah. that story. So I, I appreciate you seeing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's wind the clock back just a little bit um, to your early years. So you were, you were born in, let me get this straight. So I know that you were born in Houston, Texas, correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Did you grow up in Texas or did you grow up in California? Uh, I grew up mostly in California. So I okay. born, born in Houston. Um, my mom had family in Houston um, so there's sort of some like Southern roots there, but, sure. uh, but my, my folks moved with me when I, when I was a baby basically. So, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so I actually in that song, the, the, the UFO song, um, the second verse is kind of like, uh, it's kind of in this scene of me being a baby in the car with my, my parents leaving Texas. And, okay. uh, and so the song kind of opens in Texas, but sort of is like on a, on a exodus from Texas or whatever. So, um, but yeah, so my family went to California, my, uh, m my dad's a pastor, a minister, and, um, my, my grandpa, my dad's dad had started a church in Sacramento. And so my dad went on and, and, uh, joined the staff as a pastor at that church in Sacramento and then up until the third grade, after, after third grade, our family moved to Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, we spent four years in Omaha. And then after four years there, we went back to Sacramento. And my dad took over the church that my grandpa had started. So I feel like okay. I'm, I'm mostly a uh, uh, mostly California kid, really. Uh, that's where I've spent the most time. But I had... Uh, some really kind of important years in Omaha as well, because it was like, you know, fourth grade to um, eighth grade, which was kind of like a sure. crucial, crucial time for a kid. So um, my memories there, I kind of like, you know, like hold dear, whatever, like they were kind of important. But uh, in my head, I still feel mostly like uh, California has been my, most of my experiences, you know. Sure. So let's talk through, so that's, that's really helpful to kind of chart the travel that you had yeah. um, as a kid growing up in America. So let's um, let's talk through the experience of actually uh, being a, a minister's kid, right? Or a, or a PK, yeah. as we're so affectionately called, the preacher's kid. So I completely identify. That's been my experience as well. And clearly, so I'm guess I'm going to make some assumptions here and say that your your first foray into music was church choir. Um, yeah. Is that, is that accurate? Okay. Yeah. So. I, I would say actually... Uh, uh, probably before the choir, I was I was doing things um, uh, like singing. I think before I was ever in a choir. Well, I guess I suppose I did do like a children's choir as like elementary, mm -hmm. but I don't have any memory of that. But and like doing like Christmas musicals and that kind of thing. But I did sure. start doing I did start doing um, soloing. Um, it would have been like I guess around like the fourth or fifth grade. 
and that was kind of before I was really a part of a, like a choir vocal group. I, I, my, okay. my, I would sing in the car, and one day my mom was like, you should buy the cassette tape with like the, you know, the vocals out, and you should do this song in church. And so um, that, that, was, that was kind of my initial, what, my first memories of music was just like learning how to sing the song along with like a backing track, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and being totally freaked out of my mind. Like I really didn't want to do it. My, my mom really uh, pushed and encouraged me. Uh, to do that, so that that's my initial start, really. There, and then from there, kind of getting into more like complex, like v- choirs and like ensembles, you know, like uh, really yeah. learning harmonies, learning how to sing with other people, and um, so I, I had yeah a very rich experience because you know you do that you do that multiple times a week, you know, yeah, from, which is I mean, kind of got, insane. Yeah, you've got. I mean, you've got like church, I mean, your traditional church times, right? Yeah. So you got like Wednesday and you got Sunday and you got like choir practice all throughout there as well. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's just. It's, just, it's oh. going ongoing. Yeah. I, I even did it. And then I, I went to a secular school in Omaha and I, I was in like a show choir, like where you do like, like song and oh, dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. And, um. So I had a little bit of that, a taste of that too. So it was like school choir and then you go and you have church choir it's yeah, and then eventually, like as I got older, you know, it was like doing like worship music, you know, which was even different than choral music, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that I mean that that's my education was was definitely in the church mostly. Yeah, and you know, I for those who may not be familiar, I'll just go ahead and define secular, um, if you're not from the kind of Christian world. So secular was the phrase given to anything that was not within the quote unquote Christian uh, faith or moniker. So Christian music, Christian movies, Christian uh, books, whatever, everything else, everything else that's not given the Christian label is then defined as secular. So that's, um, it's almost (laughs) like shorthand. You said secular and I'm like, of course. And I went, I don't know anybody else You're right. I I think because, I think because I know that you're familiar with that, I was like feeling, I was already in that language language which is funny because like i could have said public school i went to a public school you know instead of a, right. yeah. but it was secular right. which is of the world oh my right. god yes <laughs> um yes thank you for defining it even further as of the world that's correct mm-hmm. um but i want to know what i think is interesting and i think we'll get into maybe uh well i would like to here in a little bit dig into um what faith you currently have, what your view on religion or spirituality is, um, and dig into that. And so I'll share for a little bit of perspective what mine is. So I grew up in the Southern Baptist tradition. um, And for those who may not be familiar with the different denominations, we can dig into it or we cannot. Um, It's (laughs) just a bunch of different ways to classify things, different rules that you adhere to. Um, So uh, you were Assembly of God, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. So if I recall from my from my um, Baptist, I had a I had a class in college that was on Baptist history that you can tell I went to a Southern Baptist school. Um, <laughs> but um, if I recall correctly from that class, the the main classification and difference between Assembly of God and Baptist is Baptists believe once you are quote unquote saved by Jesus and accept, um, you know, yeah. make the confession saying that you're going to become a Christian, you can never reject the faith. And I believe Assembly of, of God individuals believe that there is a point in time which you can reject the f- reject the gift um, as well as take it back. Am I am I 
roughly there? Yeah, I mean, I don't know enough about Baptists, but I know that that is the general feeling from the perspective of somebody who is the somebody's a God, because they had this term gotcha. that was like, the Baptists think once saved, always saved. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's accurate, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, and, and that, was, it, that was said like disparagingly almost, you know what I mean? Because it's like... Yeah. You know, they, they're not taking it as seriously as we are. Maybe you know. I mean, that was kind right. of the yeah. No, perception. That's, that's definitely the the impression that folks give. And but to get to dig down further into what I believe are ridiculous ways in which we choose to classify ourselves as a group of people is yeah. that you know Catholics believe you know in you've got purgatory and you've got to you've got confession and you've got different things and then you've got. Um, I don't, I'm not going to speak for Methodist, Pentecostals, Episcopalians, Lutherans, et cetera, et cetera. Cause I don't, I don't know enough. Um, I know about assembly of God. I know Baptist and I know Catholic. So that's where I'll, I'll stick. But I say all <laughs> of that because, um, and I'm real rusty on this knowledge, but growing up in that, in that, uh, the household, very loving. It was very, this is the one true way of, of believing, living, doing, existing, Right. So you've got um, there are other. So breaking it down further as far as like churches I went to and lessons I was taught. Right. It was Christianity as a as a entire religion and Jesus as a as a prophet and a leader and God. That is the only way in which one can have eternal life. So life beyond death. Um, And while there are other religions, they're wrong and we're right. And you can pray for them and hope they'll come over to the good side, but they're they're on the other side right now, was the general feeling and thought process. And <laughs> what I struggled with for so long was I said, I feel this connection to the earth, and I feel this connection to my fellow people, and I feel this connection to something that's greater than me, and that I'm contributing to a greater good, and that what I do matters, and that I want to leave the world better than I found it. Like, I believe all of these principles, and I feel this spiritual essence, but I don't wholly subscribe to what you're telling me is fact. And I also feel that there are these same principles existent within other groups of people and other ways of of living and believing. And one of the things that I, that I took comfort in that started changing my thought process was um, I was a huge fan of, of the Chronicles of Narnia. And so I was always taught that the Chronicles of Narnia are 100% allegorical, 100%. You got to, you know, it's one for one, you know, Aslan is Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. And when I read the last battle, at the end of it, there are folks that subscribe to a different belief structure and didn't follow Aslan, but followed somebody else who was equal to Aslan. And they still showed up in the, for all intents and purposes, heaven type of world that had been created. And when they asked Aslan, they said, why are we here? We didn't follow you. He said, while you didn't know me, you were still doing everything that I asked of the people who followed me. You were still doing good works. You're still contributing to a greater good. We're all together. And that gave me this universalist mentality with regards to um, the afterlife, right? And then I said, well, if this is allegorical and this is what C.S. Lewis believed when he was writing this, then I feel like there is some basis and structure to his feeling that there is more going on than, than we even know, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so it started allowing me this thought process that, you know, there is, there is more than we know. And religion is man's attempt to explain the unexplainable and we don't know. And for me, w- I still fall back on the principles of what I do matters. I want to leave the world better than I found it. And 
I do feel like there's, there's more to this than, than I know, but I don't quite know if anybody's got it figured out, but that's how I'm like progressing through life. And it's really put me at peace with the world around me. So that was a lot about me and less about you, but I'd love to know (laughs) just so you could have some context of my story and my perspective before I put you on the spot. I'd love to know what your perspective was like growing up and maybe a little bit of how it's changed if it's changed and evolved if if it's kind of moved on from there since that time and then we'll dig into that more probably as we go through the plus one chapter as well yeah well there's a lot there huh (laughs) yeah i know i kind of yada 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 no 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 but that yeah um i mean in some ways the the fact that you you needed to say so much to say the thing that you said at the end which was really beautiful about feeling connected to everything and to even your admission of not not knowing everything uh that's something we could anyone at any faith could do right now you know what i mean yeah, regardless definitely. of of what whatever it, i mean and it's also like hilarious like even on the basis of if we're just talking one religion we have all these denominations you and i had to figure out which yes. one we were in and and it's like even the ones that are that believe the same fundamental idea are are still are still fighting you know, right. uh, and uh, yeah. and so that's just kind of I I think um, I I was aware of that as a kid, and and then and and I was also aware of the fact that other religions existed, but not much to be honest. Like I don't I didn't I didn't know any deeper than the fact that there were other ones. I remember asking like my mom like, well, what if the Catholics are right? You know, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, you know, and it, there's always for 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 a kid i mean i don't know what you could really say but there, it, it was always really um kind of dismissed you know like you you didn't really go deeper with that question it was more like well we yeah. trust we trust god and yeah. and and we, and 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 there was also a sense of like being chosen which was kind of this yeah. other kind of m- more egotistical element of the faith uh that that you had something special that god picked yeah. you God picked you and he has a plan for your life and it's all here if you just stick in this little, this team, you know? And uh, yeah, that, exactly. th- that fell apart for me um, by the time I had left home in terms of uh, in terms of the groups being so small because they weren't small anymore. My yeah. group was gigantic. So leaving, leaving home and meeting people within the faith that thought different things that's that's yeah. it's just kind of goes in steps you know and the, i mean this is really why this is really why your parents tell you like not to be friends with the secular kids cuz yeah. like eventually you you will be exposed to different ideas and ideas yeah. are powerful and if you're if you don't have a strong argument for what you believe that will fall apart and it it i mean i guess to to jump that completely fell apart for me. And I had the strongest faith that I, I could have, you know, I, I would have argued that my faith was as strong or stronger than anybody's. You know what I mean? Sure. And, and I had no fear in like talking about it. Like it was exciting, you know, to talk yeah. about. So I I was, um, I, I don't know. I see myself as a sort of exemplary Christian in that way, in, that, in terms of my faith. Like I, I had, sure. I, I was like, you know what? No matter what happens in this crazy life, I always have my faith. I always have God. And literally, I don't have that now. I, I don't have right. that that same kind of fervor over um, over this thing that felt very. Honestly, there's something about it that just 
feels like the, it's not standing the test of time. I mean, um, th- there's something kind of insane about the way that we recall, that we, we reach back. And, and I, I'm all about like learning from history. I, I don't think that these things are, I, I mean, these are age old I- ideas. And obviously we're going to, people will be talking about them forever about like where we yeah. come from and, and like, you know, looking for redemption. All, I mean, all these like gigantic broad like religious ideas, that's going to be going on forever. But it, it it's becoming increasingly silly, I think, to look to an old text yep. with with such um, assuredness. Like what? Yes. You know, like there there's some like I think that most modern Christians are are facing that now and are and are um, they're taking all the really uh, kind of convenient messages of the Bible and leaving out the more com- complicated, complex, yeah. and troubling uh, messages of the Bible. And yeah. Christians have adapted with the time, right? And that's, that's, why, that's why a mega church can exist right now. My dad, I'm, I'm not saying that in a... Um, I, I need to be more careful about mega church as if it's like a derogatory. My dad is literally the pastor of a mega church. And I, and I, lo- <laughs> and I love my dad, and I have deep respect for, for what he's doing. And I think he is... He is meeting the the challenges head on and trying to face like these kind of questions. Um, yeah, but uh, the reason that it works is because Christianity has had to water down the message to to be an all encompassing thing for people. It has to be about hope. It has to be about. Um, come here to be restored, come here to be uplifted, God loves you, you're special, we love you, you know, and it's community. All those things are hu- hugely important to, to, right. to humans. And um, I, I, can, I can see that as being a useful tool for people who are in need, but I do, I do see the, um, the, the use of the Bible as, as not being a crucial part of that. Like, honestly, right. if, if you left out the Bible on a Sunday morning and just spoke about things that we know as humans, that we've learned through our experiences, things about relationships and how to treat each other, these things are universal and they do, they, they do transcend time. Um, you know, you can find philosophers, you know, before the Bible that were, were speaking to these ideas, like the golden rule and that type of thing. So right. I, I don't, I think that once you introduce okay, now I have my Bible, you have the Quran, you have this. It's like, now we're creating divisions. And I mean, you, you see it, like the, the world, is, yeah. the world is, is being torn apart by divisive ideas that stem from religion, you know? Yes. And, uh, yes. I, so, and, and, I, and I think that like, what if, you know, I don't know, I can kind of get too excited about, about this topic. Um, no, just, but, but, yeah. but, but to your, to your point, even just to, to piggyback off of that a bit. So for me, the biggest, the biggest ways in which the bloom fell off the rose, I'll use that metaphor is to say there were two, two instances and one was junior year, uh, at college and one was senior year. And so I double majored actually in theater and theology because it was highly important to me. Cool, and I cool. wanted to actually go and be a pastor, uh, in the likes of like a Rob Bell or a Brian McLaren, somebody that I really looked up to. Right. Um, that was the, that was the, the dream at, at the time. Um, and I did, I took, so for foreign languages, you could do like Spanish or whatever, or you could do biblical languages like Hebrew and Greek. So I decided, well, if I'm going to do a pastor, I might as well do biblical languages. Cool. So I studied Hebrew and part of it was you're translating the Old Testament. And when you 
translate it, I love like Dr. Obenshine, my professor I had was fantastic. And he pointed out this to me that when we read the Old Testament in any of our translations, it all reads the same. It's all pretty straightforward. There's not a lot of inflection other than like standard that you would see italicized, bold, et cetera, et cetera. When you look at the original Torah or the original entirety of the Old Testament and see how it's written in Hebrew and you start recognizing when the authors are putting these inflection points here, it's because it's a poetry book. Mm -hmm. Then you realize the entire Genesis or really the creation story is just one long epic poem. Mm. That's it. Mm. It's not meant to be taken literally, but like, but actually as a work of literature Mm -hmm. And then you read Leviticus and you see, whoa, it's structured like a law book. And then you look at all these others and you start seeing the original authors intended it to be read in very specific contexts. Mm -hmm. So they themselves were writing it like the people who are going to read this immediately, they get it. Mm. But as we start translating it into different languages and in different versions, then we lose the essence of what the original text was. Mm-hmm. And then people start making assumptions and drawing conclusions based off of what their interpretations are. And if you don't look at the context in which things are written, then you're not able to take the information for what it's actually being given as mm-hmm. and you start conflating it and you start drawing racial divisions and right, you've right. got homophobia and you've got all of these different it's carrying um, over problems which is really yeah, interesting exactly. because even and that's why i say like I, I do think that the culture is kind of is kind of dragging religion along with it and um you know you find a lot of christian churches now being more open to to having gay uh obviously gay members like but like gay and ministers as well and yeah. um and it's just like i mean we we've lived uh, our our short lives so far where we can remember that being literally like people holding signs like you yeah. know you know screaming about gays you know and it's it's exactly um and so i do think that the you that's kind of to me almost kind of shows the the weak foundation that religion has in that way um yeah. in in terms of where it's trying to be it's trying to be more than needs to be like there there's um it like you know like if the bible really was uh was something that uh, was was kind of supernatural or, or or had some some insight that we couldn't like if all the Bibles were burned today is there anything we couldn't discover right like uh, yeah. in terms of our survival and um, you know like the Bible could have told us to like wash our hands you know like I mean I, I'm making right. that not like a COVID joke but uh, that's kind of a COVID <laughs> joke I guess but um, but like even in terms of like I mean it was a recent medical discovery that that doctors should wash their hands when delivering a baby like the person who who suggested that idea was put to death because they yeah. were like you're a lunatic you're crazy you know uh, like and so um it's just kind of like if there you would think that that if god was really giving his word to us to 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 give us some sort of insight, he would have t- told us some things that are really more remarkable in that way, or or simple in that yeah. way. Um, no, exactly. I don't know. Exactly. I, I, and we don't have to stay on it forever. I just I think that I, I know I've said a lot of harsh things about it, about the church and about religion in general, and I I do see the good it's doing, and um, 
I, I don't think it's all all bad. You know what I mean? I think for me personally, yeah. it's become uh, it became so complex in my head. It became a thing I was constantly wrestling with, like really agitated constantly by. You know. And it yeah. wasn't doing me good to dwell on those ideas and to investigate it. And, um, and so I, I kind of created my own, I think kind of like, well, I, I think we relate maybe in some ways where as you're, as you're um, going deep inside yourself and what you believe, you start to create a version of the faith that feels comfortable to you. There's something that you right. could tell other people that you think that you believe and you could really mean it. And I definitely did that, and I and um, I should say that I I was holding on to my faith all throughout the the years of doing the group plus one. You know, um, yeah. there wasn't a time there wasn't a time I was singing those songs and did not mean it. Uh, right. And I think that when it when it became shaky for me, I that's when it stopped. You know, and even yeah. after that, I mean, I had a group, um, Gabe and I from the band. Um, we started our own group, our own band called Castle Door, and we right. wrestled with a lot of those ideas in that music. I mean, we were still we we would have called ourselves Christians, I think, for a large portion of that band. And I and and I don't and I, I'm speaking. I'm I should say speak for myself. I would have called my, sure. myself a Christian, uh, but in a very loose, like very God is love. We need to love God and love each other. That kind of thing, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. And uh, so. You know that's that's not too long ago. I mean, I think maybe maybe by around 2010, I kind of uh, took a, a step further away from that, where I just realized yeah. it was complicating for me personally. It was complicating my life, and I and yeah, I I think it's just it's hard when you're a kid and it's in your head. And I mean, I used to have dreams about rapture and you know what I mean. Dude. Like yeah, you yes. have that. <laughs> I mean, like, what if I wake up and there's yeah. clothes everywhere and I'm I'm still here? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do? Yeah, no, I I totally get that, and I love that. And to to, to kind of end this segment because this is yeah, great. yeah. This is a great segue. That's not what this into... podcast is. So we should... no, no, no. But it's but it's a but it's a core foundation For of sure. the the environment that plus one was built in. True, you know. Yeah, and I think and I think the evolution of the band and the evolution of you as an artist is is rooted here, mm -hmm. and so it's important to get this foundation. And then, um, you know, the last thing that really sealed it for me. Um, which was also 2010. So it's a little eerie that we've got these similarities. Mm. I'm just going to go ahead and keep drawing these parallels. Mm. Um, was I was asked to do for a senior capstone class, a comparative paper between the prophet Muhammad and Jesus. Mm. And so doing a comparative paper and checking out the Quran from my Southern Baptist library was interesting. Um, <laughs> but getting it and reading it and recognizing the similarities within the story. And of course, you know, typical Christian folks would say, well, that's because uh, the prophet Muhammad copied what Jesus already did. But I'm like, but that's not the point. The point is that this, that the core messages of love and acceptance and working together to create a better society uh, is present in both. And when you recognize that, and yeah, we can yeah. sensationalize any group really, because there's a lot of sensationalists in both or really in, in a lot of them, um, you can start to lose that. But when you look at the core message of what, the the Quran and the Bible were saying as yeah. far as love each other and build a better world and look out for each other. Yeah, it's those like using are, a symbol. I think so. Yeah. And I and I and I and I've heard really um 
compelling arguments for the the use of of religion as symbols you know from yes. like there's like i don't there's a guy that's kind of a controversial dude in i mean in, in some circles but jordan peterson i don't know if you know who that is jordan peterson he's is. he's this canadian uh he i mean he was a professor but he's kind of just become like a modern intellectual and he he'll debate people on on these kinds of concepts, but he's, he's really good with language. So he's able to kind of wiggle out of some problems I feel like, but he, he, um, he constantly uses the symbols, um, in religion as being important and necessary, not only for humans to, to, to get to where we come to now, but as being useful today. Um, and, uh, and, and so I, I see that and I, like, you know, there's, there's a, I don't have a, um, an inclination to like take that away from, from people, you know? Um, but yeah, I, definitely. but I love to get into the argument just for the fun of it, to be honest. Like it's just kind of fun at this point, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. Never felt like this, and I know it's because you exist in my life. Like hope shining bright through the stormy sky. Oh, yeah, yeah. and that's why I can never turn away from you. I'd be some. After the encore, I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am not alone in this podcast. I actually have a plus one, and that oh, would be Nate Cole. Oh, snap. Nate. <laughs> oh, snap. You did that. I did. I did. I did. Um, but yeah, so, but I, I say that because now we're digging into mm-hmm. plus one. And so let's, let's talk through. You were uh, 18 when you joined plus one, right? Or when plus one was formed, right? Yeah. So let's talk through how you got from being the pastor's get at a assembly of God church in Sacramento, California to an 18 year old who's now part of the Christian boy band experiment, I guess we'll call mm-hmm. you before you're plus one. So talk us through how the group was formed, how you found um, the other members, and how the the early days started before you released the promise in two thousand. Yeah. Uh, so I, the summer after my junior year, um, I was seventeen, and I the music pastor at the church uh, recommended I do this singing competition and it's like okay. a Christian, it was like a Christian and I, I don't, didn't compete vocally. And I, to this day, I don't, 
I don't really love the idea of, I don't feel competitive as a singer or as a musician, you know, at all. And um, so it's kind of awkward, but I I went for it and it was a fun experience. And it was in uh, Estes Park, Colorado. And um, yeah, do you know this? Do you know this? No, I don't Uh, know the competition. I just love Estes Park. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, And so I... um, I, I joined the competition and I, I kind of worked my way up into the thing. I ended up taking second place in the and the oh wow the the girl who beat me was Stacy Rico who became an artist herself. Oh yeah, yeah. She actually ended up opening up for Plus One, which is kind of funny. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, she's really sweet. I actually I haven't kept up with her, but I from from what I remember, she was like a really really sweet really sweet woman. But um. Anyway, I did that competition, and if you if you make it to the final round, you get to uh, sing in front of like a panel of judges that are industry people. So sure. uh, at the end of it, one of the the panel members came to me and was like, "Hey, I think you'd be really good for a project I'm working on." Gave me his card. So the whole year the whole year goes on. Uh, I, I start my senior year. And not until after Christmas, and I, I was kind of like at this weird point where I didn't, I, I haven't really been an academic person. I, I wasn't really interested in going to college, um, but I thought I'll do this if I have to, kind of a thing. But I wasn't sure. applying to colleges or anything like that. I never, I never scored well on tests or any of that. So, um, I got a call eventually from the guy who had given me that card. And he was like, "Hey, we're gonna hold some auditions. I want to, I want to tell you more about what this is. I want to, you, sh- you and your family should come out." And he was based in San Francisco, so my family, my mom and dad and I went to San Francisco and met with him. And he basically told us the whole vision of what Plus One was gonna be. And so this was like, I guess the uh, you know beginning of '99, um, and uh, it was still kind of up in the air, you know, like. I, I remember doing the auditions still, like graduating high school, kind of being like, I think this thing is happening, you know, but I wasn't quite sure, like it hadn't formed yet. And um, right. so then I went, went and did audition. The manager told me, he's like, you know what, I you're going to be in the group, but I still want you to come to the audition and I want you to like experience it and I want you to like, you know, uh, to go through the, all the steps. So I did that. Was this uh, was this with Mitchell or was yeah, this Mitchell. Uh, David? That's Mitchell. So Mitchell yeah, uh, Solaric. Mi- yeah, Mitchell Solaric, and okay. um, he at the time was kind of uh, doing this joint with um, someone from Atlantic Records named Barry Landis, and then they okay. Barry Landis had the David Foster connection, uh, okay, and gotcha. so like he basically was like, "We're gonna get if we can get the right group of guys together. Like I have a lined up like situation for producers that it's gonna be like." You know, I mean, the way they talked about it and the way they explained it to my parents, it was like, you know, you're going to be working with um, Whitney Houston's producer, Celine Dion's producer. And like, (laughs) you know, my parents are just like, of course, my kid's going to be working with, you know, (laughs) like and and it was just like it was all like it sounded like crazy talk, you know, like it sounded like too good to be true. And uh, it ended up being that that all ended up being true. I mean, that we we did the auditions. They selected people really fast. Um, I remember I roomed with we uh, we stayed in a hotel and I roomed with Jeremy who ended up being in the group, um, yeah. and yeah. So you were the so you were the first official unofficial pick 
of the group, right? Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I don't say that in any way that like I was something special. No, not like, yeah, it, but right, it, yeah. I just was in the sense that it they just had, out that way. yeah, they had had their eye on me uh, before the auditions even started, and so yeah. I had been talking with him for longer. But um, yeah, so that that's why, and and he he just told me. I just remember having like an assurance because I was really nervous actually about the audition because you were gonna have to dance, and I was not oh. a dance. Like if I ever went to like a dance anywhere where people were dancing, I was panicked. Like I I never yeah. wanted to dance, and so I I think that like put me at ease going to the audition because there was a dance element to it, um, and so. Yeah, I say all that to say, like, I, I wasn't freaked out in the audition. I felt kind of comfortable in it. And I was just more curious, like, who are these other guys, you know? <laughs> like, sure. Um, so, yeah. So, did they, so, so, yeah, so they basically were like, we've got a spot for a – how did they pitch it? Just, like, a Christian version of NSYNC? Or how did they yeah, even, I think like, so. explain that? I can't remember the exact language, but I knew that that was it. And for me, I, I, uh, I know we talked a little bit – earlier about like music influence or like things that we listened to around that era. Sure. I was fully loving like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. This was, this yeah. was like right when it started. So, yeah. the, you know, they say like Christian music is usually a little bit behind like the curve. <laughs> and so it was yeah. like, like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were like hitting a peak, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, not a peak actually, it probably hit a little later, but it was like the beginning exciting moments yeah. and like Britney Spears. And I was also listening to like, mostly R&B music a lot a lot too like Usher and like there was this group 112 anybody that was like a yep. good singer anyone who could sing good was like I was all about it like Boys to Men sure. Mariah Carey yeah, uh, yeah, yeah Lauren Hill I was really into it. so I had like oh, all yeah. that I had all the R&B stuff but like I remember like I was also still listening to like Smashing Pumpkins or like whatever was like <laughs> you know it was like top yeah. 40 I think the the 90s were like really unique in that way you know yeah, um, I would agree. So, so you've got yeah. the auditions. They've filled the group pretty quickly with, uh, was it Nate? Or you're Nate. Oh, my God. Yeah, Gabe, yeah, yeah. Uh, There's a Nathan, Nathan, though, so it's confusing. Nathan, that's who I was thinking of. Jeremy. And then um, who was the – who am I blanking Jason. on? Uh, thank Jason. You. Jason, yeah. Yeah, so and there so, was actually another member. I, I mean, this is like trivia, like plus one trivia or something. There was another <laughs> another member named Grady who was like a really cool dude. Um and he was the brother of another like uh, Christian musician, and uh, he ended up drop like kind of leaving. I think on his own will, as far as I know. <laughs> and then we filled yeah. in with Jason. Yeah, but yeah, it's not really important. It's just kind of like a funny trivia. That's thing. interesting. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So so now y'all are formed, and you're doing audition or not auditions. You're doing rehearsals, and you're you're prepping. And then when when does it when does the name come about? When does the 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 CD come about who's writing these songs walk me through that er those early days yeah we um I remember so everyone flew for the audition and everyone flew back home and I was I just drove because I was living so close and then also Gabe was really close and I had met Gabe I, I, it's kind of an interesting tidbit but like Gabe also sang in choirs and in church and school and I had met Gabe in one of those we we actually sang in a mass choir together when we were in huh. high school. Yeah, and he was kind of like That's the awesome. yeah he was a goofy like he was always like the funny like one acting out like a little rebellious and funny and so I remembered him we connected a little bit in the audition anyway, um, so everyone went back home I actually went and did like a demo with one of the songwriters um, for the song God is in this place and then there was another song called oh, yeah. the, the the promise and so like I went they were like kind of testing out 
what songs were going to work. Um, and I remember going to San Diego where this um, songwriter, Phil Cias, and I'm not sure how he got pulled into it, but he ended up being a really important songwriter for that first record. He wrote a few of those, the really, like the singles, the, the Promise and God is in Place. Anyway, he, uh, I, I did some demos with him, and then um, I don't know exactly. I, I, the timeline is, is a little fuzzy in, in my brain. Honestly, I, whenever I get into this, I'm always like, you should talk to Nathan Walters because Nathan, like, remembers it all perfectly. Like, he has <laughs> – he, like, he'll, he'll, like, tell you so-and-so's phone number. You know what I mean? Like, I, I can't remember. Sure. I can't remember any of this shit. Um, but David, <laughs> David Foster was uh, – we always knew that, like, he was going to be on board. And then he had had a label um, – uh, it was like a branch off of Atlantic called 143 Records with his sister. Okay. His sister's name is James, James Foster. And she's a really cool woman too. Like we just hit it off with everyone. The whole thing was just like a big vacation, like this crazy yeah. party. I mean, I listened to like uh, your your episode with, with Chris Kirkpatrick and um, yeah. that kind of like dreamy, like otherworldly, like just dipping into something that, was just kind of bonkers, crazy. Um, it was all fun and exciting. Every day was something new. And um, you were just kind of waiting to be told what to do and where to go, you know? And so we yeah. recorded the record kind of all over. I remember we, we recorded at least one of the tracks in Boston and it was like snowing. You know, I'd never been to Boston, you know? It's like, yeah. so it's like kind of like the whole thing was just sort of like the most intense, like stimulating. Thing to, it's like being on camp, but like forever, you know. Sure, yeah, it's yeah. Like, it's kind of incredible. I mean, I um, so those early days were wild, and like even before the record came out, like we would, we were, we were staying at David Foster's house. He had like a guest house, and literally he had like a trolley that would take you from like one floor, like up to the, like the top of the house. Like the property was like insane, you know. He he would like, he was a really charismatic dude. So like you know, he'd be like you know, this is the house that the bodyguard built because he, like, did the bodyguard soundtrack. And, yeah. uh, and like, he would have all these, like, one-liners. And then he would, like, be, like, really crass with us and really funny, which we love, too. Like, he was just, like, <laughs> he was really funny. Anyway, um, we were staying at his house, and he's like, I think you guys should play it, like, my Christmas party. And we, we hadn't, we didn't even have a record out yet. And um, he had this Christmas party with, like, at the time, it was like Jack Nicholson and like Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn, all these people in a small room, like a dinner yeah. party. And we, he was like, you guys should sing. Like he just was really sweet to us. He was just like, I want to like show you to the world kind of a thing. And uh, awesome. he really believed in us and like obviously really elevated what we were doing. Um, I don't think that there was anything super spectacular about our voices. I, I think we were great. I think we were really good. But I think that there is yeah. like, you know, if you pulled aside like – people like the in the voice or something like that i know you've had that the voice season i'm sure there's singers that would crush these songs i and so there there was an element of luck that i'm fully aware of but i think that we all were were naturally gifted but like worked really hard and like took full advantage of that opportunity totally yeah you know i think i think I think it's a lot of it's always a lot of things, right? So you yeah. see success, and it's it's a mixture, it's a dash of luck, and it's a lot of hard work for sure. Yeah. And you find that the people who are able to to get through got that hard work. I mean, you you know, for instance, and so I'll I'll, I'll look at it this way: is like I think it was just a perfect combination of needs and wants. So yep. for instance, 
yeah, the the secular, I'll use that word, the secular <laughs> pop scene yeah. was overrun with with boy band type groups, right? So you yeah. had NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, obviously. Yeah. You've also got, you know, O-Towns working on there uh, around that time with making the band. You've got BB Mac, you've got Westlife, you've got um, Five, you've got LFO. I mean, you, 98 Degrees, on and on and on. Mm -hmm. um, but the Christian music scene, which was starting to explode, mm -hmm. was lacking an answer. And this was fully in the time where you did... You know, you couldn't stream the music you wanted. If you if you want music, you were making a conscious decision to go out and purchase a physical totally. album. Totally. And if you're and if you're in the Christian church, you're highly discouraged from purchasing secular pop music. Right. So, but you like it because it's on everywhere and it's what's popular. Yeah. And you want an answer to that. So I think, yeah, the the pop market was a little overcrowded, but the Christian music was needing a group like Plus One. And so when Plus One came on the scene, it was like, boom. I mean, everybody in my church had the promise. Yeah. You know, every single person in youth group, we were playing that, cranking it everywhere, music videos on the big screen. I mean, the whole nine yards. And it was... It was like, you know, uh, I saw an article that described Plus One as the clean cut in sync boys you could bring home to your parents. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, and then back in that yeah. day, too, like you would go into a, a Christian bookstore and, yes. you know, they, it would say for fans of. And then it would be like, you know, so you'd have like Nirvana. For fans of Nirvana, you'd have like that's when Jesus Freak came out, you know, and it was like, yeah. of course, like. <laughs> DC Talk. I mean, uh, yeah. first of all, I should say DC. I loved that. I loved DC Talk when I was a kid yes. too. So I'm not like above any of this music. No, 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 to no, say. no, no. Yeah. Um, but but I there definitely was a void in that. And, and a plus a plus one a version of plus one would have definitely happened if it wasn't us. You know, I, I'm fully yeah. aware fully aware of that. Like there was a right. like you said there was a void in the market, and I'm sure there's some guy with a suit and tie like ready to like pounce on that. You know. Yeah, uh, and so we you know, were we were definitely that for sure. Yeah, and in fact, it's so funny you talk about that. I worked at a family Christian bookstore for a period of time <laughs> in high school, and um, I was the music expert. So like, I would have people who would come in, and I remember specifically someone would be like, "Hey, uh, my kid really likes Blink One Eighty Two, but I want him to like Christian music. Mm -hmm. Is there a band you recommend?" I'm like, "Well, there's this group Hawk Nelson. You should you should <laughs> check out." And I know y'all you toured with Hawk Nelson yeah. on the Exodus CD, so yes, um, that's top of mind. But um, and so, and to your point, so yeah, it's like you had people saying, well, my kid loves this group. They love NSYNC or whatever. You know, what, what group do you recommend? And so you've got, you, I mean, The Promise did really well. It, 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 um, it went gold. It sold over 500,000 copies. And so, um, that's huge, especially you're in, you're, you're making waves in music in the world, you know, in the entire pop music scene and then crushing it in the Christian music scene. And, you know, I, I had told you this before we started recording. I didn't even know about Plus One. This was like early days of The Promise. And I was in a blockbuster. And this is like really showing my age. And they <laughs> they were playing MTV or VH1. I forget which. And the music video for Last Flight Out came on. And I was struck. I was like, who is this group?
what are they about? And then, you know, when I found out they were a Christian group, I was like, oh, I'm all over this. My parents are going to love that I'm a plus one fan. And so, um, but so you're, you're, you're starting to get into the mainstream conversation with the success of Promise. And, you know, you're making TV appearances like Untouched by an Angel. I'll teach you guys everything you need to know. All you got to do is do it. Please. Hey, come on, guys. Thank come you. on. Thank you. All right, we got one on board. I'll give you guys a note. All you do is hum it back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Good, good. Hold that, hold that, hold that. Keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. All right, all right. Now all together, all together. Again, again. So when your spirit gets too weak, when the water seems too deep, when you think there's just no way, I'll be there for you night and day. When the mountain seems too steep, when your spirit gets too weak, when you... So what do you think, sir? Yeah. For example, and, you know, you're really... And Touched by an Angel, while it was a Christian show, was was one of the top TV shows of really all time, but specifically of the of the '90s, 2000s. Totally. So, what was that experience like when you started seeing the success with those those singles? What was that um, that experience like when fans started growing and growing? Yeah, I, I think we definitely knew that there was something unique happening with it because we, at that time, we we became friends with other Christian musicians. You know, even people that I looked up to, and I could just from having brief conversations, you know, the, the kind of, um, the machine of a label, uh, was, was definitely apparent as like a, a big force for, for, for why we were having these things happen. You know, um, you can't just do that. You can't just make a call to, you know, whatever. And it's like, so we had, we were, we were lucky or unique in the way that we had, Atlantic Records, which was a mainstream label, is a mainstream label, we worked with their mainstream secular <laughs> division, and then we also they also had a Christian division that would like make sure that we fell into all the right places there too. And and yeah. so, but but on the mainstream side, they really gave us a push on that first record. Like we were pushed to like radio, Disney, MTV. Yeah. Like we 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 got we got a really legit even like mainstream radio. We were on and we did like, um, you know, some of the like radio shows, like holiday shows where we were playing alongside all mainstream secular music. And, uh, right. and that, that was definitely unique because there, there weren't, and as far as I know, haven't really been Christian, other Christian artists that, at that, that would do that on that level. Um, right. And so, yeah, I'm sure some people resent us for that. And like, and we took flack, but mostly I think it was just, it was too big to really matter. You know, like yeah. the, those opportunities are too exciting and too the broadening of your scope to for it to hurt us at the time. Maybe if the internet was around, someone could have wrote a scathing, like scandalous <laughs> piece about us or something. You know, I mean, the inter- I'm sorry, the internet was around, but not in the same way that it is. No, now. it's, it's Twitter. Not, if Twitter, it's, no. if Twitter was around, we would have been canceled. <laughs> 
yeah. But I know, you know, it's also, and for those that may not be familiar, I mean, this is firmly, I, I remember this like it was yesterday and that we're in the, the, you know, this is the WWJD culture, the, what would Jesus yeah. do bracelets? The, the Christianity is, is a, um, is a product for lack of a better word. You know, it's being marketed as, as such. I mean, you saw like the, those bracelets are the best example. I can think of those bracelets, cross necklaces, literally on every celebrity, every TV show, yeah. everywhere. Absolutely. Um, it's sports leagues. My dad's a, sports pastor for FC Dallas, all of the players had those bracelets, you know, and I was working at Family Christian. My dad was asking me to buy more and more all the time. I mean, this was like, this was, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a statement, right? It was it was, I'm part of what's popular and I don't, and I don't mean to degrade or diminish um, people's beliefs because that's not what I'm doing. What I'm saying is there's a lot of additional things that were very popular at the time um, as a result of that. And I think, I think, um, plus one continued to rise on mm-hmm. the fact that people, people liked Christianity as, as, um, commodity or like, yeah, yeah. yeah like there's a yeah, consumer, yeah. there's a consumer element, of course. And because it's a business, so I, I never really get too hypercritical sure. of like Christian music as a business. Of course there's right. shady shit. Like, of course, like anytime <laughs> you involve money and anything, yeah. it's going to get weird, you know? Yeah, um, so I, that's really comes as no surprise that, uh, that there would, there's, you wouldn't expect an exception in Christian music with that. But, um, but yeah, you're right. Like in terms of like uh, the the industry keeping up with the culture and like giving people uh, a reason to be excited about being a Christian, you know, and like that identity, be, having that identity, there wasn't as much shame, uh, or, or maybe I'm sure there was at times. But I'm saying you you could find a, a community of people to feel completely proud about being in that group, you know? Right, um, and, exactly. And, and, I, and I know that we were propped up as definitely as, as one of those kind of, um, I don't know, we, we, were, we were one of the groups that made people feel that comfort level, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's great. It was great. Honestly, I, I, I feel like I, I, I don't want to disparage it too much because I, I, I know that, and like if I was younger and I was a fan of the group, like that would have been super meaningful to me, and I and I was a fan yeah. of Christian music, like I said. So I I know that the the role that that music plays and bands and songs play is 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 uh, you really can't overstate the how meaningful that is. And and I'm I'm totally. grateful to to have been a part of it, and um and it and it really was a safe like quote unquote safe like space to to be in if you came to one of our shows. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like there yeah. it, there was I mean if you were looking for something shady, you could probably find it, but it wouldn't have been out in anyone's face. It would have been right. you know, and 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 in general, the 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 overall vibe was super positive. It was yeah. all and and it, it was all about coming together, community and about like I mean you know, celebrating our faith and celebrating um, these these like concepts of what we thought was most important in the world. Like you're coming together right. with people yeah. that like this is what we think is the most important thing in the world, and we're all together doing it. You know, right? And, yeah, like, that's, definitely. That's there's so much power in that. There is so much power in that, and uh, and um, so that was really exciting. And I, and I was always really grateful to have a, a part in that for sure. Definitely. And, you know, I had um, I'd mentioned this a little bit to you before we started, but speaking of music being meaningful, I mean, one of the reasons why the why Plus One 
and really the CD, the, that, uh, initial CD, the promise is so meaningful to me is cause, um, I went on a trip to India for a month, uh, one summer and, you know, I, again, I couldn't take my CD player. I could take my laptop and I could only take two CDs cause I only had room for two CDs, <laughs> one in a case and then one in the actual laptop. And so I had to be mindful about what I took. And I, I took the promise. That was one of the CDs I took and I took Creed's weathered cause I just gotten that as a, as a present. And for those that uh, yeah, feel free to bash me all so you good. want. No, no, no bashing. But, no bashing necessary, dude. We stand. Creed we stand, was, Creed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Creed was was the best because they were, you know, they were considered the the squint. If you squint enough, they're the Christian rock group that you want. And so, yeah. I mean, I'm in India. I'm in a country that I'm not familiar with doing work and excited about the work that I'm doing, but feeling a lot of culture shock. And my tie back home were, were those CDs. So for me, I mean, there were so many hours I listened to the the promise from front to back and it was, cool. it was my comfort CD. So when I, I mean, when I'm getting ready for this interview, I popped the promise back on and it was just like, I was transported back to that time. And it was, it's comfort music for my soul. I mean, is the mm-hmm. only way to say it. And, and it it means so much and it is valuable. So we talk about, you know, being rooted in religion and how we've evolved with our, our views and spirituality and our views on the world. But I think, you know, in all, in all seriousness and sincerity, we're not disparaging the music because of the fact that it is meaningful. And there are so many, um, lessons and, and amazingness that we can take from it, Definitely. you know? And, and so it's, I think you can easily reconcile your growing views on spirituality and religion. And I, I almost, I, I like to say this phrase a lot is like, I kind of feel like I've Marie Kondoed my, <laughs> my religion, you know, yeah. or my views on spirituality is like, yeah. I thank it for the time that it gave me. That's and I've, I've now like folded it up and put it, given it away kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say like, I'm upset or resentful. It's like, no, I think, I'm very grateful for the time that it blessed me with. And now I've, I've chosen to move forward. And so I love it, but let's, that's great. Let's, yeah, let's dig into, um, Exodus. Cause that was, um, I mean, there was a lot, there was a lot there. There was a, <laughs> there's a fucking documentary around the making of, of that album. And actually, and so, well, so obvious, or no, I'm sorry. That was obvious. obvious. Yeah, yeah. Exodus was the third one. Sorry. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. But but yeah, there was a documentary around making obvious, and then you did it, and it it sounds like I, I guess um, the promise feels a little bit softer, and then obvious feels a little bit more. Um, um, I don't want to quite say in your face, but a little bit more like let's get up, let's get moving, let's. There's yeah. there's a lot of songs to tackle. Tackle, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, so, what was the thought process in in kind of evolving the sound a little bit for that second record? uh, So, for the sound, I mean, I I guess you kind of have to take it in the context of like we went from being eighteen to like twenty by the time we're making the next one. You know, there's kind of I mean, from the time that the the group started to by the time we're making the second record so much happens in those years of a person, you know, Um, if we were in college or whatever, you can imagine what, what different like styles we would have dabbled in, like music you you're exposed to that you'd never heard. So I think we had this like desire, like, you know, you're, you're just kind of like, like kind of 
overflowing with like expression. Like you just wanted to let people know if you thought I was this way, I'm actually this way. You know right. what I mean? Like, like I've yeah, grown yeah, yeah. up, like I know something now, you know? And, uh, <laughs> and like, and, and that comes out in like growing pain sometimes. I, um, but I know that we were listening, obviously we were all listening and exposed to more, uh, different kinds of music at that time. And, and then also like the, uh, I think maybe NSYNC's, um, no strings attached had come out already, and we were doing ours. So, in sync, kind yeah, yeah, of in yeah. sync, kind of set a little bit of a tone too, because they did the dirty pop, which is like the right. whole yeah, subtext yeah. of this. The dirty pop was like really gritty. Right. It was like dirty pop, and like I think, I, yeah. I think in general, the the culture was moving beyond the the sugary thing and the cute thing, yeah. and. Um, so we felt that, and we we liked the same things. I'm sure whatever like NSYNC was listening to, or, or or people our age were listening to, and um, and so we wanted to like express that. So we 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 did write. We had a lot of co-writes on that record, and a few like full on like writes, like where we wrote the wrote the music, which is a huge step. And um, and uh, like those are formative years for us. Just be able to like call yourself a songwriter, you know. Like that's yeah. a, that's a kind of a giant thing that you don't just really say to people for a long time because you're like, I kind of have these ideas, you know, and like, and then yeah. you're like, oh no, like I write songs. And then the label helped a little bit too with like hooking us up with other people to write songs with. Um, Gabe uh, got even like a production credit on the record, so it oh, was a really awesome. big deal. It was a really big deal. We were really branching out and trying to. Um, you know, have our our voices metaphorically, our voices being, you know, heard through the music. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's a good. Yeah. That's a good point too, because you're talking about like InSync as a parallel, and you if you chart the three main InSync albums, so the self-titled, No Strings Attached, and then Celebrity is the final one, um, which has pop on it as well. Like that's right. I about. said Dirty you, Pop. I've I flipped that. You're right. Yeah. No. Thanks. No. 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 <laughs> no. It's all good. I did the yeah. same thing when I was talking to Chris, so yeah. I felt bad. But um. <laughs> Um, in my head, I call it, I've always called it dirty pop because the song starts dirty pop yeah. and goes from there. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, um, but you can hear the sound evolving from like a pop group to almost a, you know, a kind of pop, like R and B hip hop infused pop group. Right. Sure, and yeah. so this kind of like, um, maybe almost like Jennifer Lopez, Usher sounding group, yeah. um, as it's evolving. And so I think. I think to your point, you're starting to hear that in plus one. You're starting to hear from the promise that kind of um, how in sync and other groups started out with a little bit softer, soulful pop, and then starting to evolve into the more upbeat, up tempo type of stuff that you're seeing in the rest of the world of pop. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that that's accurate. But I want to. I know we're we're starting to get closer to time on this segment, so I want to kind of lightly touch on. I'd love for you to give me your perspective on when Jeremy and Jason, mm. right? Yeah, Jason yep. and Jeremy left the group. Um, what was that like? Because because within those years, let's talk through. The obvious came out in 2001, I believe. I'm trying to find my notes. Uh, 2002. No, I'm sorry. 2002. So early in 2002. So obvious was released early in 2002. Jeremy and Jason leave later on that year. Then you've got a trio. Leave the <laughs> label that you've been with. You're no longer with. You get a new label, and then you've kind of, and then you retool the group, and it sounds almost more like a rock band for the album Exodus. So there's a lot within literally one year 
Um, so can we briefly stop through yeah, geez, that, that sounds like a total train wreck, doesn't it? It yeah. sounds like a mess. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, well, and we did do a Christmas record, too. We did a Christmas That's record right. in between there, and that was kind of the last record we did as a full five-piece group. Um, That's and right, that came did, out at the end of 2002. Yeah, and we did, we did. Um, I, I guess, I don't know, I, I don't really know what the big scoop of it, the best way to kind of give the the timeline or the story but um with jason i feel like he i even in terms of when we're talking about faith it kind of relates to that because he he kind of in my in my view he was becoming a little more radicalized in his faith and in and and even in terms of like how he was interpreting what his purpose was in his life you know to like what to do and and you know we're we have so many voices in our ears at this point like everyone kind of wanted a piece of us everyone wanted to like pull us into their world because what it would mean to their world, you know what I mean? And so there's churches that would do that. There's like weird, yeah. you know, I, I, that's, that's my, this is uh, everything I say, obviously is mine, but there of were, course. you know, people whispering in your ear all the time. And, um, I feel like Jason did what he felt like he had to do at the time, which he, he voluntarily left the group. And, um, in some ways I remember it feeling a little bit like a relief because there was tension you know, because yeah, he, sure. because he was becoming more extreme, you know, even the things he would say from stage, you know, like he, he would, uh, I, 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 don't, I, I hesitate. I, I'll say, it cause it's, it's a, just, he wouldn't care. I, I, I actually don't know if he would care, but I'll just say it anyway. But like he would say, um, like from stage, he'd be like, how can you love God and watch him TV? You know? Oh, and, sure. And then, yeah. and then we would go onto our bus. He wouldn't watch him TV, but we would all watch him TV. You know what I mean? Like we right. were all, so that it, and and it's and that's I guess I can say that about Jason because he really was principled in his own values. Like whatever he sure. he stuck to it, you know. And for us, it just felt like a a totally wacky representation of like what we were about, you know. And so when yeah. he left, there was a little bit of relief. It was almost like the you, you know the the kind of um, more uh, sort of like uh, legalistic version left i don't think he would say that now and, and maybe he would i don't i don't know I, I i'm sorry i'm kind of like i don't want to say too much about him no you I, don't want to speak i no, have okay no bad you... feelings about him now like he yeah. was literally right. so he was the youngest in the group a year younger than me and and i think uh, like i i have i don't judge him or feel weird about him at all like i think it was just a weird time and uh he left because he felt like it was best you know sure. and i think it was best yeah. so it was best and we we kept going with it with that I don't know. Did you have something you wanted to add to that? I, I yeah. Well, I was just going to say, like, it's it's tough because you don't want to speak for him and and the fact that his views, I mean, whether one way or another, have have probably definitely either layered on or evolved or changed or, or what have you since that time. Exactly. So, I know for sure. So, you know, yeah. Right. And so, you know, it, he might have a little bit more context to add. He definitely would. More, and, he definitely and would. And he's not here. But I think I think what we can say is what you've said in that, and you see this all the time, especially it was very prominent, you know, being, being in church. And I, I would, I had friends that would up and quit sports or up and quit, um, you know, commitments within the church, even because they felt that they were called to do more or different or up and go on a last minute mission trip to South America. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Right. Yeah. It's like the, it's like like the, uh, the wonders or that thing you do, uh, where the drummer takes off to join the military, like in the middle of exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it's the same, it's the same, um, I think that was the bass player actually. Oh, um, 
because the drummer was Shades. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, totally. And I actually, yeah, I, I kind of know the yeah Embry. It was a uh, um, Ethan Embry. I the real yes. the real person's name. Yeah, yeah sorry. I, no, it's all good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just like that. And so it's not it's not I think a bad thing. I think it's more of like a commentary on the time and a commentary of a lot of individuals' thought processes within the Christian faith at that particular mm-hmm. point in time yeah. was very, I'm doing this until I get called to do something else. Totally. And, yeah, yeah. That's a really good point. I, that's a really good yeah. point. And it, it, when you feel when that, that calling, yeah, yeah you got to go. You exactly. Go. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's that's all it was. And I think there can be some tension there and, I, and not necessarily negative, but more of like, they're very assured in their growing beliefs mm-hmm. and you're not sure what that's going to translate into mm-hmm. and you're not sure when it's going to translate into yeah. something. And so I think it's just more of like, what's going to happen when and it's like, okay, he's decided I'm leaving because I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, cool, yeah. you do you, we're Absolutely. good, no worries, no hard feelings. Yeah, the only, the only reason it's complicated is because we were in a in a marriage or whatever together like if he like you yeah. know like it, this would have been totally normal he would have done that we'd be like cool man like right on like you know like if we weren't in a group together that's and we didn't you know like, in a lot of ways we don't even really feel like we chose that group you know i mean we kind of fell yeah. into it so i i totally understand it and i and i i totally respect him uh like retroactively and currently you know what i mean like that i i don't yeah. i don't think there's I think everyone was doing the best that they could at that time, you know. Definitely. Um, so, what was uh, Jeremy's reason for stepping away at that point as well? Was he after Jason had left the group? He was after. Like, we did a few shows with the four of us, um, and he he wanted to start a family, and I know that that was like definitely part of the pulling of sure of there being you know a separation there. Um, yeah, it's tricky, man. I know that, uh, I mean, it probably played into it. Like Gabe and Nathan and I, the three of us had been living together. So we were kind sure. of like creating a unit. Like there were things that were happening on like a individual, like personal level that just is like naturally occurring that. Yeah, um, and that happens. Yeah. Like you get like, and even throughout the whole phase of the group, I mean, there'd be like a week where I'd be like tight with Jeremy. And then the next week I'd be tight with, you know, like that kind of happens. And I think by the end, the three of us, me, Nathan and Gabe had really kind of like ha- created a bond within each other where uh, yeah. uh, musically, like everything, taste, like movies, we were living in a house together in East Nashville. And it was like kind of the, the most dreamiest time. It was like complete independence. Um, and we, we had big ideas about like how we wanted to move forward and express, you know, and, and write songs and, and all that. So, um, that's kind of how that came to be. And, um, we ended up working with Peter Furler from the Newsboys on that, on that record. And, uh, yeah. Um, and that whole experience was, was really positive. I mean, I, I, it's funny. I, I did like a little bit of a, um, retrospective type thing on my Instagram recently, like in my stories where I just like let people ask questions. And, um, it's funny because for a a lot of people that are maybe a little closer to our age, they really loved that record, the Exodus record. And like, um, I, I felt really proud of it because it was the most like hands-on, you know what I mean? Like for, for, for the plus one record, we would all show up to a studio and the track was ready to go, you know? 
Right. And we would just yeah. go in there and sing. And like literally, we I, I don't even know how they chose which one sang what. Like I don't even really remember. Like it was just well, there's such a, a, yeah. There's a good point. There's a good point in um in the documentary that I watched actually, and I don't remember what song y'all are singing. Um, but I do know I I'm. I uh, need to get the uh, the name of which one it was. Which one had the um, the long wavy brown hair? Brown hair. Uh, was that Nathan or was that Gabe? Uh, that was Nathan. Yeah, Nathan. Nathan okay. Yeah. So there's a point where you're trying to sing a vocal and you're trying to sing um, some some harmonies and then you finish and you go, "That was too R and B." B. Get uh, get Nathan in here. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> and then. And so Nathan comes in, and he's just like, ah, ah. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, Nathan's way better on this. Just use yeah. him. And they're like, okay, we'll use Nathan. We figured it out. We definitely figured out our strengths right. and our roles in the band by the <laughs> end, you know. You're summoned to the other room. How'd it go in there, Big Joe? Yeah, it went okay. Big Chill out. Good. No high notes, though. Oh, man. I don't even want to try the camera on me. I'll probably have to make some weird face. Oh, how about the first verse? Was that okay? How was the first verse? Yeah, you want to just listen down real quick? Just listen. Listen to the verse. All right. And then we'll listen. Just gonna listen. All right. Listening. Me, it was always all about me. My job, my plans, my time was all I cared about. Myself. get serious here get a little more passionate about these i'll pretend you're not here get into my own little zone Like the part where I hit my face on the mic. <laughs> okay, no, you want to listen to it? Yeah, check it. Let's It's too R&B sounding no, for me. I don't know. No, no, I don't know. The I just... way you're singing is not yeah. Okay. And maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's not even supposed to be my voice. Maybe maybe one of the other guys, you know what I mean? Maybe like Nathan. we should put uh, Nathan. Nathan. Nathan could do the everything and it's yeah. not so... I know. You know what I mean? Let's do this. Let this be noted on the camera that I sing all the harmonies on the G here. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm the one doing all the work, you know what I'm saying? The producer's gone, so uh, uh, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> but I just think it was funny when you're like, I'm not sure how they decided. And it's like, well, apparently sometimes y'all just Yeah, decided, I guess so. we did. I guess we did. <laughs> I just don't remember because I don't remember anything. <laughs> I, like, sure, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's funny. No, that's cool. Yeah, so I, I really love, I have like, you know, things about each record of course that I really love and there is something really sentimental about that last record because it felt like we just had survived something you know we had all yeah. gone we had all were like we all did the, the the boot camp or whatever it was that we were doing that was I mean we survived it I, 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 I'm thinking about how that might sound because in, I felt completely privileged and grateful and you know gratitude for it but um the fact that we kind of had made it through without completely dissolving. It was like we were hanging on to it, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, that, that record turned out 
really special, I feel like. And we all and Exodus, we, we wrote yeah. all the songs. We wrote all the songs. There's one we did do one cover. Um, but the rest we, we wrote all on our own and that was kind of like, you know, a coming growing up kind of a thing, you know. Yeah. So you've got Exodus, but then at the end of that tour you decide to go your separate ways. Um so what was it like kind of as we're ending this segment? I know that there was definitely Castle Door after plus one. Yeah. And we've touched on that a little bit. Um, but what was it like to, to, to fully close the plus one chapter of your career? I don't know, man. It's kind of surreal. I remember playing whatever it was, was the last show that we ever played. And I remember it was an outdoor, like amphitheater, like gigantic place. And it wasn't like our headlining show. It was like, I think part of like some type of festival or something. I don't remember where it was. Like, it could have been. Was it Cornerstone? No, it was. Uh, okay. I, I don't. I, I don't know for sure. Like I don't remember the okay. exact festival, but I remember playing a gigantic stage, and we all knew that it was the end for us. But we knew that no one else knew. Like we hadn't announced, you know. Sure. And yeah. uh, it was a really weird feeling. Um, and yeah, so I, I, it's weird. Like I. It's it's hard to know. I, I think in in a way we were really excited when when before Exodus started when Nathan Gabe and I were living together writing songs. We had originally thought we'll do this as a new band, sure. Because we, we thought all oh, the music is, we're not going to be able to carry our fans through to the next thing. They're going to think this is too weird. Like obvious was already too much of a stretch, you know. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we were like, this is too weird. Like maybe we should just like start a new band. And then we got kind of convinced, basically, by uh, by other people, uh, you know, industry people, like, let's just do this as plus one. This is going to be good. You can still do the old songs and, like, do them in new ways. So I think by the end we realized, like, it just I – don't, I don't know. I, I honestly can't put myself back in that headspace. I don't really sure. remember. Um, no, I totally get it. But It's, it's one of those things where it's like it, it happened. You're fully aware of it happening, but it's almost a little surreal because it's it's so far removed from, from where now. you're at yeah, now. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Well, you're listening to After the Encore. We'll be right back with Nate Cole after this. Look over your shoulder. Remember that you're older Forget about who told you That everything is over Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Nate Cole. And we're going to go down to Texas for this last segment, specifically your titled album that just dropped earlier this year. I know there's a lot in between Plus One and Texas, but I definitely want to spend a lot of time there because I think the sound, you know, I talked about at the beginning about the initial track concerning the UFO sightings in Aurora, Texas, was this immersive out-of-body ethereal experience and I loved it and so I really want to get down into now that you've had this career that expand that spans boy band and evolving sounds to the point where your sound is currently 
and it's probably even moved on since this record dropped um, back <laughs> in March. Um, but I want to know, like, what is the state of music for Nate Cole at this point in time? Mm, the state of music. Like yeah. uh, like a state of the union, but state uh, of music. Yeah. Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I think one of the things that does kind of make me unique from other, like, group boy boy bands or pop groups from from that the time that I came up in is that I really never stopped making music um and uh there if if someone was curious about how I got to where I am now there's sort of a trail there you know um and uh so yeah there's so much to fill in if somebody wanted to like Castle Door was a group that we spent a lot of time I spent as much time in Castle Door as I did in Plus One which kind of like That's blows true. blows my mind you know I mean we didn't travel the world we didn't yeah. do all the same in- incredible like feats of of um what you do but um it it was as as equally as important you know in my life and and so actually Maybe not equally. I think plus one maybe was a little more significant in terms of like, you know, shaping sure. me. But 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 those years in the group, I would say as a person too, you know, from those from that age group of like twenty five to to twenty nine or whatever it was, um, with Castledor really important. Um, so now now I mean I did a I did a full record called Bad Beat, and yep. uh, I worked with a really incredible musician named. Tyler Chester, who's who's still working with uh, in in music and doing awesome things with different artists, um, but I was really going for something that were were like something that kind of like with with the Bad Beat record, I wanted to do something that felt a little more grounded and and not so much in a moment. You know, it's kind of just like I just want to like express myself in a way that I could sing these songs later and still feel good about it. You know, yeah, um, and so. I, I think I've always been doing that in the way that I write songs in terms of I'm, I'm always like very honest uh, in terms of storytelling or lyrics. It's, it's Storytelling is me just telling my own story, basically. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. With Texas, I, it was a little bit more concepty, which was fun. Like, yeah. Um, I can tell you for a fact yeah. that it, it when I listen to it all the way through, which I've done multiple times and I highly encourage everybody to do so. It feels it like I mean I I'm born and bred in Texas and have traveled many places but have only lived in Texas whether it's here or when I was in school like I've fully immersed in the Lone Star State nice. and the, this album evokes feelings of me in different parts of Texas Whoa. depending on which one I'm listening to. Whoa. Um. The like like yeah. I, like oh, I'm trying to I got I got I I think it's the um um. The yeah, yeah yeah so the um the 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 Cadillac I'm I'm paraphrasing the Polaroids at Cadillac Ranch yeah thank mm-hmm. you that one um I think that's the one that has those like twangy guitar yeah moments yeah and that makes me feel like I'm out in West Texas. Cadillacs in the dirt and nights where we left a mark. Even if those Polaroids fade, they left a mark on us. Life was in cruise control when you were driving stick. Six CDs 
In fact, it, it specifically evokes this memory from me um, where my wife and I, before we had kids, we were coming back from Colorado and we decided we weren't ready to come home yet. So we intentionally took a long detour just to try and do something that we've never done before. Drove through the flat, flat, long, expansive areas of Sweet. the desert of New Mexico. Went to Roswell for just kicks yeah. and then <laughs> drove back down through Texas around Lubbock that way and got caught in this ice storm. And getting caught in this ice storm in the, in the middle of nowhere. And then it, it in the morning subsiding and seeing the vast expanse of nothing and yet everything yeah, um, evoke this, this unique feeling within me. And that's what I get when I listen to that song, I'm, I'm transported back to the, the ice storm. And then when I'm listening to um, the David Koresh song, mm-hmm. um, it weirdly takes me back to this point in college where I'm, uh, where I'm actually grappling with my spirituality and my religion. Hold the guitar like a sword. You are the full armor. As you let us in UFO sightings, uh, Aurora, that takes me back to my transcendent experience um, as well within a different part of Texas in college. And so, I mean, like all of these, it, it, I can tell it was a concept, but it transported me around the state throughout time. Yeah. And that is deeply personal to me. And the fact that this song by this artist that I barely knew was able to take me to places that I am deeply familiar with is what is so powerful. And I think that's what we get when we think about the power of music. And so I could feel a lot of emotion poured into that through the music. And so um, I'm not trying to dominate. I want to know more about no, like, I love that creation of it, but I just wanted to share that of how it's like, already impacted me for the rest of my life kind of a thing jeez i mean i I love that so much thank you Uh, that's that's i mean in the way that you talk about the songs kind of happening in a place that's kind of why i that's why texas worked as a theme to me partly because i I was kind of sick of la in a way you know like i've been living here for a while and i've lived here like 
over time, I've been here for about like 10 or 11 years, like off and on. And this last chunk, I'm just kind of like, what's the purpose of being here, you know, and kind of dreaming about other places, which is something I do all the time anyway. Sure. Um, even when I like being where I am, I'm still kind of thinking about what it could be like somewhere else, you know, like that's right. kind of yeah. like a common thing. And um, Texas just became that place for me. And, and I knew that like I had roots there, like I was born there and I'm not like super mystical about that sort of thing, but there did seem, I did feel like some kind of magnetic thing about Texas. And I, I even had a friend like, dude, like why don't call it, like I, I, before I, before I even put the record up, before I even finished the record, I was like, my next record is going to be like TX, like Texas. And he was like, no. And I was like, why? I was like, why no? And he was like, dude, it's like a red state. Like, you know what? Like, it's kind of like, kind of just like, you know, just yeah. kind of riffing on like the cringy elements of Texas yeah. or, or, and whatever. I mean, you know, po po I mean, politics, fair, politics, yeah. politics aside, you know, like just kind of it being representative of, of like that American, very kind of, um, I don't know, stuck in the, in the, in its ways because type of thing. So, yeah. uh, and I was like, well, dude, that's kind of exactly why I, I want to put it there because like I'm from Texas, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and you can be yeah. anyone, you could be anyone anywhere. It's kind of the idea. Yeah. And these experiences that take place are wildly different. Like you said, like in one song, you feel like you're kind of in one place in the state. The next one, you're somewhere else. It's just because the things that are happening are pretty different from each other in each song. Um, and that that was kind of the concept. So it's like it's all happening in this state, but uh, like um, I, I found ways to you know even if it didn't actually happen in that state, I found ways to 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 evoke that feeling. And anyway, yeah. So I I mean I thought I could have put I could have I could have got a little bit geeky about like making it this whole like an origin story all the way till now, which I. I, I didn't want I didn't want that to like hold back the songs and the music like I didn't want to force sure. I didn't want to force some type of theme that it didn't need I didn't want to put too many songs just to fill it in you know so yeah uh, I kind of let whatever was happening currently in my life also play a part so like the last song I wrote for the record is the last song on the record which kind of is a it, it's really an experience that happened in in Big Sur California. And that's like my favorite place. One of my favorite places on earth is like um, incredible landscape, you know. And so yeah. it happens there. And I didn't, I didn't need to, to, to put it in Texas. And if someone else feels like it's in Texas, that's great. <laughs> you know, like that's fine. I don't yeah. care. Um, and I put some things in there. A Lone Star is kind of a play off of a Lone Star, like the Lone Star State. Yeah. So, um, right. so anyway, that it all worked where I felt f I could fully sign off on this record as something that feels um kind of like zoomed out and like this is my life from afar and then I can go into these really little details and it could still be under this umbrella of Texas um yeah so yeah and I, I love that you that you you felt something from from each of those songs in a way that's that's really cool it's good in that you know I, I think <laughs> I always tell people that Texas is is almost like a, a mini country in and of itself. Oh, for sure, and that, for sure. And like, there's this movie, uh, Bernie, with Jack Black. That's like, it's. I based love on a real situation. Bernie. Oh, I love that you, movie. 
super familiar with it. Yeah, that movie's great. It's it's so crazy. But they've got like real um, Texan residents that are filling out the rest of the commentary, and it's almost like a mockumentary, but it's also like about real events, and so it's it's crazy all the way around. There's this guy you can look it up on YouTube. This guy breaks Texas down into grids, mm. and it's the most accurate representation of the various parts of Texas that I've ever seen. I mean, he's Whoa. like, you've got, you've got Southern Texas, which is this, this, you've got El Paso and you got West Texas. And, and then I was in a theater with, you know, I'm in Dallas. And so he's like, you got the rich asshole snobs in Dallas. And like, everybody died laughing. Cause we're like, yeah, that's accurate. It's accurate. Funny. Yeah. And then, and then he's like, you've got Austin, which is its own little continent yeah. right there. And then and it goes around, but it really, what I, what I love about Texas Politics aside, because I do feel like there's a lot more that we could do that's better political-wise than we're currently doing. That aside, I will say one thing that I love about Texas is I feel that the people that I meet and the people that I love dearly are fiercely loyal to you, regardless of at the end of the day where you're falling with your beliefs and your structure. And it is the place where I've had some of the most genuine, authentic, groundbreaking, growing conversations and relationships that I've ever had. And I've had great conversations with people in New York, California, Colorado, everywhere else. Yeah. But they usually kind of align with what I believe in um, for the most part. Um, and that's also great. But when I've had these like really like, you know, let's let's break bread and share our perspectives kind of conversations, it's always happened in Texas. That's and great. it's always happened with other folks from Texas. And that to me is what I think of when I think of Texas is deeply totally. loyal um, you know, but deeply loyal in your relationships and your beliefs, but just as willing to sit down with a piece of bread and a beer and discuss what's going on. Yeah. No, I love that. And I, and that's the way I feel, um, when I go anywhere and, and I, I, I'm never dismissive of somebody because of whatever their political, I, I I think that's trash. I think that to to treat people that way is, 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 uh, just, it's a, it's it's uh, dangerous. Like the like I think Agreed. right now now um, we're so everything is such a hot topic and like you know people uh, the way that the way that we we interact with social media. I, I mean I hate to like go on a rant or whatever, but like <laughs> it, it is really just dehumanizing. And if you sit down with yep. people, I have like a really good like I I've always been like a very kind of like anti-gun kind of guy. I know I'm talking about Texas and I'm, no, no, one, no, it's okay. no, it's no Texas people aren't going to listen, but no, but I'm saying that that has always been kind of my, not, not even that I'm like marching in some protest or like signing petitions, but like my inclination, my, my, uh, intuitively, I just feel like I think less guns in the world would be better. It's kind of my, my thing. you right. So, yeah, but like I, I was, I was speaking with, um, my wife's cousin, who was talking about how much he loved guns, you know? And it was just like, he didn't, he, it wasn't a politicized thing in the conversation. It was just like, he was talking about the way that he, he interacts with guns and it was so different, you know, it was just so, it was so, so, and and I just think like, we need to listen to each other. And I I think we're more similar than we are different a lot of the times. And, and you can find the differences, but to me, it's really more interesting to find similarities right now, especially when everything's so wacky and you feel like, you know, it, it's so alienating, you know, like to be in your, especially like quarantining 
and you're not talking with people and you're just reading on. And for some reason, the thing that people want to talk about is the thing that divides us the most, you know. So oh, politics yep. is garbage. I, I fucking hate it. And I it's tearing me up, too. Like, I know I get worked up. I know that, like, everyone is bec- has become an activist online. And, like, I, I don't know who my friend – like, like I, the people in my life – I don't care what you think about this shit. You know what I mean? I mean, at, at some yeah. point, at some point, I probably do. I shouldn't say that. But I, what I mean to say is I don't need to know what you think uh, 24-7 about all these things because I would rather – tell me what you love. You know, tell me what's yeah. exciting. You Send me a new song that you listen to that you love. Tell me what, like, show you're watching that's making you feel happier, excited, or, like, interested in life, you know? Yeah. Send me an article Definitely. that's, like, exciting and passionate and beautiful. Like, uh, I, I have a friend, D. Wing, who um, produced the thing I did between Bad Beat and Texas, which is called Tilt. And he, he, he him and I have been, like, doing, like, social distancing hang in a park you know we'll like go sit on like blankets six feet apart from each other and we'll just like talk and like it's been really encouraging because he is that guy he's the guy looking for beauty in the world you know and so it's like a break it's a break from all the rest of the nonsense and so um i say all that i'm going off but it does relate to texas in a way because even this like David Koresh character in in my song, he's a grotesque person to a lot of people, right? But like, I know that like so many people would be captivated by somebody like him. And I know I would have been as a young person. And yeah. I know I was. I have like youth pastors or whoever that, pe- people that are exciting and have like that fervor for life. And you get wrapped up into it. And but you get to know them on a human level and, and you start to understand why people think the way they do, you know? And right. there's yes. there's very rarely ill or like there's there's very rarely um, sort of like a villainous um, thing in those people's hearts, you know? Yeah. If you get to know the – that's why like in movies – you, you you become passionate for the bad guy a lot of the times, you know, when you see yeah. why they're the bad guy, you're like you're kind of rooting for the bad guy, you know, um, yeah, once, you, once you get yeah. to know them a little bit. And um, so I, that that's in there, too, for me. And that's something I'm like working on personally, you know, just to like yeah. just to like be somebody that can can I can sit down at a dinner full of Trump supporters or whatever. And like I can I can actually like not just reject them based on the who they voted for. Like, who cares? Like, I mean, I know that these things matter, but it doesn't matter right then when I'm having dinner. And there's maybe ways to to like have some peace and and um, in those times and, and to affect each other, you know, to, to learn from each yeah. other. Sorry, I'm well, done. I mean, rant done. No, <laughs> rant no, done. No, no, no. But it's, here's the through point to what we said this entire time, right? Mm-hmm. Is the, the foundation and the crux of the music and your perspective and how it, the music has evolved is like the core foundation of what you're raised on in that, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Love, love people, yeah. listen to them find a way to make a better world, find a way to leave the world better than you've left it. You're still doing that. Totally. It's, it's translated a little bit differently than it historically was originally, but it's still the same. And I think you've carried that core element with you throughout your entire life and your entire musical career has just been, how can I positively affect change? Even in just one random person who's interviewing me for this music podcast, I've never met before his life kind of a thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're going to be inspired and then they're going to go 
change one person and then it's like the Billy Graham thing but but evolved you know um mm -hmm. as far as like oh yeah you know, passing you yeah, yeah yeah passing like the mm -hmm. the positivity from one person to another person he meant it as like the gospel I mean it as like changing the world yeah on a, on a basis but the same principle applies and um you know I think that's what is special about your story and your career and your entire catalog of music is you've, you've what, what it seemed from an outside perspective has been, you've really worked to ensure that what you are doing is adding value to the world, mm -hmm. you know? And so that can take a variety of forms, but at the end of the day, that's what's driving you to continue forward. And you can really chart the musicality evolving to, to, sure answer for what what folks need at the time whether it's castle door with your wife and with other folks whether it's text you know tx whether mm -hmm. it's the original plus one regardless i mean it's it's what people need when they get it and it's it's able to stick with people and continue to grow so i i, I think that's the through point that we have for this story and that's what I absolutely love. So now I'd love to ask you, I know there's a lot more we could really, really dig into. Um, and perhaps we'll save that for maybe another time um, with mm -hmm. some of this, but I want to know <laughs> where do you think, um, so we'll, we'll maybe start, start the, the, the wrapping up yeah. um, with this. So I've got two, two questions for you and two talking points. One, I, I do want you to kind of revisit a little bit before TX, whether it's castle door or um, uh, bad beat was what is something that you're, very proud of um, from a song perspective or just a um, album perspective. And then in addition, I'd love to know on the, f on the flip side of that, where are you thinking of taking your, your music past Texas mm -hmm. or TX? So yeah. those two. So looking back and then looking forward. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Honestly, it's like I, I'm the kind of person that like with time, I really think fondly on things, even if they were traumatic or, or difficult, you yeah. know, like I, I really I, f I remember them in a, in a rose colored glass type thing, like positive way. And uh, I feel hugely that way about Castle Door. Um, Brandon, who plays ba who played bass in that band, is still one of my best friends and every everyone who was in that group i like love so much you know and i keep up with yeah. here and there and um and we really did some amazing things all on our own it was kind of like that you know it was the antithesis of of plus one in the, in the way that it was put together and the way that we worked and we had no backing we had nothing you know um yeah. and uh so that was i'm i'm really proud of those days i'm really proud of those songs you know, they weren't produced maybe in the way, I mean, not even close to the way of, you know, working with someone like David Foster would have, of course not. So it's like w what we did with what we had was really special. Um, so I always think fondly on that. Um, to make a solo record felt daunting because I felt like it had to be like a big statement, you know, like, ah, people haven't heard from me in a while. What am I going to say? And I had already, we I had already actually done a little in-between group with my wife called Doom and Gloom. We had like a little That's project right. together. Which, I mean, we haven't talked about that par partly because we didn't really do shows and stuff. We just kind of were doing that in between after finishing Castle Door because we are like, what are we going to do? We, we had this band that was our identity, and now what are we going to do? And we made songs together, and it was really cool. I, I really liked that. But my wife is like this kind of like 
multi-talented, like she can kind of do anything. And she's really she once she kind of dabbles with something, she becomes really good at it really fast. And then she'll kind of awesome. be and then she'll be kind of like, oh, I'm good with that. I'm going to kind of check out the next like what else was out, what else is yeah. out there, you know? And uh, so she's done so many things. She's done like ceramics within this time. She's like made ceramics. The first time she ever made ceramics, she like sold every piece that she made. Like it was just like it's stupid. Awesome. And then she's like, eh. Everyone does ceramics. Like, I'm done. I'm like, no, you could, like, do ceramics. Like, this could be your thing. And then, like, so she's she's done that with a lot of things. She does it with food. Um, she's she's crazy with, like, fashion and photography. And then she's been acting, actually. She was, interesting, this ties into it with, with your life. But with, with theater and stuff, she's been studying and putting in tons of hours of work and theater work. Um, and that's been sustaining because it's constantly challenging her. And she's doing really well with it. But it's, like, it constantly drives you. There's no, like... There's no yeah. end point, you know what I mean? You don't right. make the ceramic the ceramic pot and you're done. It's like, nah, you got to keep going, you know, which is cool. Right, yeah. So that's been sustaining you just. So that's put that aside, but um doing the doing the solo record felt like a little bit daunting in that way that it had to it had to mean more than just making a song. And I and I'm trying to get away from that. I'm trying to approach music more as in like I could, you know, like say something small that's really meaningful to me without without worrying if 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 I have to show my best vocal moves, you know, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like a lot of people, it's like I, I used to approach songs like, what if this is the only song someone hears from me? I better like go all out, you know, better yeah. really give it, really bring it. And it's like if a full record of that is really draining to listen to. So I've been trying to um say the small things or be smaller in a in a way um that i think is interesting and and relatable you know um yeah. like just kind of stopping to worry stop worrying about who's going to hear it and just do be more expressive so that's right. what i did with that that is what i did with texas um i'm fully aware each time i put out a record now that it could be like dropping it into a black hole you know um and i know you had um when you i listened to your episode with Chris and like there was even like a few kind of melancholy moments where he's still like I'm still figuring it out and I think that's just like representative yeah. of life like I think you could probably right. ask Justin Timberlake the same thing and he'd be like I'm still kind of figuring it out you know what I mean yeah. and like it's like no matter what level you hit you're still it's kind of like that you finish the pot the the clay the, back to the ceramics like metaphor but like you finish <laughs> making something and you're like cool I did that but like what's next you know what I mean what else yeah what else? And like, so I'm always doing that and I'm trying to um, live a meaningful life that like has something to say when I do decide to like make a record. I'm not going to just do it to add more noise because there's right. so much music. There's just so much music. It's unbelievable. And so I'm very aware of that and I'm very aware of that. If I'm going to put out a song, um, I want it to mean something. To me first, I want to want to listen to it, you know. Yeah, um, and so, yeah, I'm I'm really happy with how Texas turned out, and I've been working on actually the 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 song I did, the David Koresh song. I, I made that with my friend uh, Aaron Esposito, who has a um, instrumental like project where he plays horns and he plays piano, really beautiful instrumental music. Yeah. And which has been like, I know you were talking about like getting the tingle feeling or getting into a meditative space with music. That has been yeah. like hugely, uh, inf like I, I used to never listen to music without singers. 
you know like that was yeah, the whole yeah, yeah. point used to be like uh we're, we're like i'm listening for a voice you know like yeah no totally yeah I totally relate and i i don't know maybe that's like growing up or maybe it's just i've lived long enough that i've heard enough singers like i'm just like <laughs> either I, way yeah there's something really soothing about instrumental music and um i, I it is kind of like you know spiritual in, in that way that you could talk about in yes. a secular spiritual way and um feeling that connectivity to people and so my friend Aaron is is one of those people that feels that deeply as well, and, and he contributes to that in a way that I think is really special. So we've been working on music together where I'm just putting my voice all over it and messing it up. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, I love no. it. Love no, it's funny it's after awesome. I was saying all the instrumental stuff, but yeah. Um, but yeah. we 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 loved that David Koresh track, like the whole yeah. feel of it. Like that world is really moody and kind of magical and special, so... We've yeah. been working on, we already have like half a record of songs. Um, and so that'll probably be where I lean into next. I don't know. I also have like the doom and gloom thing is funny because we've been quarantined and I've been working on music that is like different from all of that. That's just like a little bit more upbeat, you know, and just kind yeah. of like fun. Because the stuff I'm doing with with my friend Aaron is really moody and like kind of like ballady and like that's my favorite kind of music. Yeah. Um, so that's going to happen. I think I'll, I'll, I'll say I'm definitely going to make that record with him because the music feels really special and it feels like the kind of thing the song could exist without any bells and whistles. You just like have, I could just sing it, you know what I mean? And it's right. like something yeah, it's pretty totally. and special. So I'm, uh, I'm excited about that. That's where I see myself going. But honestly, I'm just kind of like cursed and tortured with this like, um, I have to reject the idea that like my music is done. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, like I mean, and maybe that's there's something strange or or stubborn about me. And like I said, like a lot of the the the, the people from those groups in the late '90s and early 2000s don't even do music. You know, they found like right. a T-shirt business or something like. And like I, I, I get that. And you gotta hustle. You gotta figure out a way to survive. But I will always be doing music as long as I find something interesting there and something meaningful and I, and I do feel sort of almost burdened with like a responsibility. I, I don't, it's kind of like almost external. That's just always there. And, and, uh, and I feel like I, I want to see it through, you know? And so it doesn't matter if I, if I hit any of those marks from my past, um, I'm going to be doing it at whatever level I'm at in my life. I'll be, I'll be doing, I'll be singing, you know, I'll be singing. I love it. Yeah, as long as I have I a love voice. It. Well, yeah. I absolutely love it. Well, as we're wrapping up, I wanted to ask you one final question is, is there, if someone's listening and they want to break into the business, is there one piece of advice or one mantra that you have that you would like to quickly share with them? Mm. I mean, the thing is with the business is so strange. I mean, you sure. had like the Spotify, um, this, this, this headlines and this week was, the you know executive of Spotify was saying that it, gone are the days where artists can just put out a record every three years or so. Like you gotta, if you want to really do this, you gotta be put pumping out songs regularly. Right. And and you know a lot of uh, that that research re received a, a adverse reaction, rightly rightly so, from so many people who don't operate that way as a musician or as an artist you wouldn't want that from all your favorite artists you know 
You would no, get you yeah. wouldn't want cheap versions and and so and, and so but he but the Spotify dude is probably right. Like that probably is yeah. the way. If um if you're giving advice to how in the industry, but who knows, that industry could change. And I think that you always have to find if do you have something to say, do you have a, a way to express yourself that feels unique and do that and and uh and do that with you know, regardless of if somebody is is asking for it you know what i mean if you care you're gonna do it you can't hold yeah. somebody back you know what i mean like if somebody really wants this it's like me i i mean uh, why am i doing this i'm not getting anything monetary I, this is all this is this is my passion project you know right and like exactly and and so um i i think if somebody wants to do music they're gonna do it because they have they really have to you know um and if you want to do it there, there's some people that probably don't feel that, that could succeed better than me because I don't, I'm not figuring out, I'm not weaseling my way around, I'm not getting all the business cards, you know what I mean? Like business yeah, cards, business exactly. cards, I don't even the right thing, but like I'm not a network, <laughs> no, you know, I'm not a networker. I'm not, I don't like to advertise, I don't like to put myself out there in ways that are uncomfortable for me just to like advance my inch because the thing is you could do all of that shit you could do all of it you could follow all the rules and still nothing happens in the end you did a bunch of things that felt weaselly and weird for you and embarrassing and look what you and look what it got you it's like you 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 can't operate in life like in that selfish kind of way you know um uh, I don't know. So my my advice, I, I think I think I kind of said it somewhere in there about my advice would be if you love music, make music because you really can do it easier. I, I would never I don't I don't ever call myself like a producer and like the Texas record I did mostly on my own. I had a few key people. My friend Addie Rip, who I should shout out, is an amazing artist who did Walk Back the Cat track. And my friend oh, Mike, yeah. Micah James did the verse on that. Incredible artist, incredible friends of mine. They they elevated that project to me in ways that were like astronomical. You know what I mean? And same with totally. Aaron. And and so collaboration is huge. If if you if you're lacking in one way, if you have to do it on your own, do it on your own for a little bit. It's not going to be what you thought. I think there's a really good um, uh, Ira Glass from This American Life. Yep. He has a really good bit on this that's that's aged well. It's basically like you you have to start creating and you're not going to live up to your taste. Everything you do is yep. going to be a little bit cringy. You know, it's gonna be like, ah, it's not quite. Yep. And like every time I play, my wife has to remind me if I play a song for someone, don't say shit about it. Just let just play the song, you know, because right. you, you don't want to um, belittle yourself. There's um so there's something about having confidence, being a go-getter, be determined and make stuff um, even if someone's there not to help you and look for help. Like I, I don't think yeah. of myself as a producer. That's why I reached out to people because I was struggling to finish that record and I had people come through that really helped me. Um, so look for like-minded people. If you can create a community, even if it's not close to you, that my friend who did the Walk Back the Cat, he's in Chicago. We did that track you know, through sending files back and forth. And um, you don't have to even be close to someone. That's why, like, right. Taylor Swift made her recent quarantine record or whatever. Right. Um, but, yeah, Definitely. collaboration is hugely important to me. Uh, it's becoming increasingly important. And um, uh, I'm trying to acknowledge my limitations while also um, being confident in my strengths, you know. 
So that's I that. love it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. Well, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, I would say probably now on Instagram, kind of regrettably, but I, I really don't. I think that's probably the best. If if you're someone who like goes on Bandcamp, I'll always put my music on Bandcamp too. So if you're like avoiding okay. so, social media, Bandcamp I think is a good outlet for music. Um, and then like yeah, SoundCloud and I'm on Twitter, but Twitter's trash. Don't go on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, but yeah, I think Instagram is the best. I'll I'll always probably update as long as it's around. Who knows? But and you're at you're on Instagram at Nate underscore Cole. That's is that it. correct? Yeah, that's right. Thank Perfect. You. All right. Well, Nate, thank you so much. This thank has you, been Joe. An absolute delight. I appreciate it. I'm happy um, to meet you long distance. Hopefully, we can do this in real life and no yes. no timeline. We'll just like you know have a drink and get way go go off the rails on the religion right. thing. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Well, uh, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and here to play us out one last time is Nate Cole.
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.